you. All right, with that, Timothy Parker is going to come this morning and bring the Word of God. So, Timothy, come bring it, man. Oh, do you have which word in particular would you like me to? <laughs> the That's, word the Lord gave you, Timothy. So you mean part three in emotionally healthy spirituality? Yes. Okay, cool. Because that's what I did. Um, when y'all watch videos like that, do y'all ever like get fixated on the wrong thing? Like, so that video was like really great. And I was like, oh man, this is so great. And then I saw in one of like the worship things that one of the songs was licensed to Barrett Daddy Music. And I was like, I wonder who Barrett Daddy is. Hmm. And then before I knew it, it was like, and we hope to see you at Converge. And I was like, well, missed the video. Anyway, as Steve said, I'm Timothy. I work here. We're going to talk about some stuff this morning. Um, If you, I'm going to get situated while I talk, if you don't mind. Um, So if you've been with us or haven't been with us for a while, just to catch you up, um, this fall we are going through... Uh, I always hate the word study, but it's a study. I guess you call it. It's really more of a of a vision for the way that you can live out Christian spirituality in an emotionally healthy way. And it's called emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, We ramped up to it for a little while. We're kind of right in the middle of it now. The whole idea is that um, this guy named Pete Scazzaro. A while ago, what was a church planner in New York, and he was just living life, being a Christian, doing church stuff, and he realized that there were some pretty unhealthy patterns going on in his personal life that he saw, then reflected in the community that he was leading. Um, and so he kind of went on this journey uh, to figure out what, what exactly was going on, how was it hindering, and what could he do that would actually help himself and, and the people around him flourish. Um, and, and the just kind of the result they came up with was this idea that um, for the small bit that our, I say our, um, our inherited faith practice helps, there's a lot of stuff that either through ignorance or, or whatever that we just don't really get at. But there's a lot of stuff available to us. There's a lot of stuff available to us in Christian tradition. There's a lot of stuff available to us in God and his grace towards us that can help us live a more whole, integrated, unified life, which then causes us to completely and wholly flourish and not have these areas and pockets where we have uh, sort of like dysfunction and stuff going on. Um, and so we're going through this together as a church saying, hey, what what do we need to do? How can we help ourselves live the healthiest, wholest life possible? Because we believe that Jesus calls us to life at its absolute highest level. And it's hard to live that if, if we are kind of just consistently tolerating kind of broken and dysfunctional areas in our life. Um, and, and so we've been going through some stuff. We started by just sort of saying, here's the problem. Here, here's what's actually going on. Um, and then we said, hey, if we actually want to get like move forward in knowing who God is and what he has for us, we need to address who we are. We need to look at the stuff going on with us. We need to know ourselves so that we can know God. Um, today, um, we're going to actually step way back from this. And, and the thing that we're going to, do, we're going to be doing today is called uh, going back to go forward. Um, and a lot of this stuff it centers on one main issue. And that's the issue that we all come from places, have pasts, have experiences that we've lived through, mainly that we have families we grew up in, right? Um, And and the idea is that our families of origin, the the stuff that we inherit from that and the experiences they're in, does actually have a profound impact on who we are and how we live. Um, At first I was like, oh man, that's actually really good. And then I realized that's not all that groundbreaking because I'm pretty sure everybody here has had this experience. At some point in your life you said, 
my mom and or dad did that, and I will never do that. And then what happens, right? You have the kid, you have the job, whatever, and you say the thing or you do the thing, and you're like, no, it happened. I'm them, right? Like for me, a lot of people, like guys like me, would be like, I'm becoming a lot more like my dad. Sometimes I feel like I'm becoming more like my mom. Just like... Um, the other day I was in a, uh, I'm sure none of you ever do this. I was in a checkout line at the grocery store and, you know, I saw that's where they have all the latest like celebrity, like gossip magazines and stuff like that. So I don't know if y'all know this, but Brad Pitt is going through a real tough, tough time right now. And it was like, Brad tells all. And I said, ah, this ought to be good. And I was like, oh, mom, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Just. Let me, buy, let me buy my groceries and leave. Um, but no, like we all had that experience. Um, so in order to kind of figure out exactly what this entails and exactly how we can kind of broach this subject and start looking at the stuff behind us that affects us now, um, we want to look at the story uh, in Genesis 50, verse 15 through 21, um, of Joseph being reunited with his brothers. Now, there's some background on this we're going to get to, but I just want to go ahead and read this to get this out in front of us, and then we'll kind of unpack exactly what's going on here. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 15 through 21, and this is what it says. Uh, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And what if he pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father has left these instructions before he died. And these are the instructions. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers their sins and the wrongs they committed against you, treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for it to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Um, So here's the deal. We're going to look at... From this and from the concept, uh, we're going to look at two big things. One, uh, your family past does, in fact, affect your present. Um, and that we need, there's certain parts we need to take off so that we can put on what God, God has for us. So two big ideas. Um, our family past affects our present, and we need to take off some parts of that to put on what God has for us. Now, I do want to say... Um, there are some sort of tricky things about this. So just a few warnings. Um, one, this can be painful, right? Like addressing things that have gone on with us and our families in the past, um, can be difficult. Um, and this can cause us to minimize what has actually gone on. Like, oh, that thing that was said to me repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly was not that big of a deal. Or this earthquake instance in the life of my family was actually not that big. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to, we don't want to make it the end all be all if it wasn't. Um, but we also don't want to make it tiny if it was actually something that impacted us a lot. Um, and then like another thing, like, you know, so when you're on like team Jesus and whatever, and you start to look at stuff like this, um, sometimes we can sort of overemphasize uh, God's work in our life and say like, oh, God has done so much for me and God's grace is so strong and God's grace is proud. And all of that is true, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to go fix some stuff and look at some stuff. 
And so sometimes we can kind of use God to run from God's work. And we don't want to do that. Like we just want to look objectively with God's grace and power what's going on. Um, Another thing, like we can, sometimes you can like fixate on this. Like we can get so bogged down in like every minute detail of what happened. We can't think we can move forward until we all get it fit. We get it all fixed. And that's just not true either. Um, and ultimately, like we, it can be hard to believe. Cause I mean, here's the deal. Like we all know, like you, like I'm, I, I'm going to be honest. Like my, my parents were great. I had a fantastic life. Um, easiest, no best, no, but pretty awesome. Um, and, and I'm sure from that to the worst, we all have varying degrees of stories in here. Um, but regardless, sometimes we can look and no matter where we are on that spectrum, we can say, nah, it's just too broken. It's just too hurt. It's just too dysfunctional and defective. God, God can't do anything and help us move forward. Um, and, and that's just not true. And we see this in the story, um, of Joseph. So uh, I just want to go through some things because we said that there is a past here for Joseph that we have to look at. And so I just want to run through this for you so we understand how he got to this point where somehow his brothers are coming uh, to, to forgive him and all, and all this other stuff. So um, Joseph shows up at Genesis 37 and he's um, number 11 of 12 sons. Um, hold off on that real quick, Rob. I've got one more thing before that. I, only reason I say that. So you can ask Steve. I'm a read ahead person like Steve, like when we like, we'll have meetings sometimes and Steve will have something that he's going to give me later and he has to turn it upside down because I'm literally like, uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm like doing the upside down reading thing. And so I just want us to be on the same page. I know that some of you are probably read ahead folks and, and I got something for that later. All right, Barry, I'm looking at you. Okay. Um, so he's a, Joseph shows up Genesis uh, 37 and he's number 11 of 12. Now, that means he's the second youngest of 12 siblings. Most families, if you're the second youngest, that means you're the middle child of three. Here you've got 12, which, why? Like, what? Why? I mean, okay. I mean, like, I, I don't have any kids. I have a three-legged Rottweiler puppy, and, and she's a, a, too much sometimes. I can't imagine 12 sons. 12, uh, anyway, sorry, I'm not going to fixate on that. Anyway, he comes on the scene. He was his dad's favorite. Um, dad loved him so much. He gave him this big, like fancy, like Technicolor dream coat to wear. Um, and it was so obvious that he was dad's favorite. Um, their family was a blended family. So his dad, Jacob had, uh, two wives and two concubines that were all bearing kids. So imagine that think about that. Um, his family past had a lot of brokenness and sadness, and it will actually get to that in a second. There's lots of patterns of, of just dysfunction that were going on in his family. Um, the picture we get of Joseph is that he's kind of immature, kind of arrogant, like really thinks more about himself than other people. Like God starts to give him these dreams, and he'll just like tell his brothers and be like, hey, by the way, God told me that all of you guys are going to serve me later in life. So how do you like that? And, and like so the picture we get of Joseph is that he is just about himself and not really thinking about other people around him. Um, so and, and that last thing is what gets us to where we are, because Joseph starts to just like lay it on his brothers, which I don't know how many of you have siblings. So through remarriage and a lot of other stuff, I actually have about the number of siblings that Joseph has. Actually, I think I have 11 or 40 or a thousand. I don't know if you stick around, you'll see some of them come in here sooner or later. Um, but I know that like sometimes even if you just have one sibling, like it doesn't take much 
and World War III happens. And like the house is a battlefield and all this other stuff. And so what we see is like Joseph, like will get these dreams and visions from God about his future and his destiny and all this other stuff. And like, he'll just go tell his brothers and his brothers finally just have enough of it. And they take him out one day and they throw him in a pit and basically leave him for dead. Joseph ends up being taken um, into Egypt. He was uh, in this guy named Potiphar's home as a servant. Potiphar's wife, which this is still like, this is crazy. Like, the Bible can be super weird sometimes. Like the Bible, like this story is like, I think about every reality TV show I've ever watched. And this is a little bit better. I mean, it's great. 11 brothers throws one throw. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting distracted. Um, so thrown into a pit, take it into slavery in Egypt. He's working at this guy named Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph to fool around with her. And Joseph's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. So she makes up a story and gets him thrown in jail for like 13 years. It's crazy, right? It's unbelievable. So Joseph spends 13 years in jail, is eventually released, and rises to like the second most powerful man in Egypt. And that's kind of where we pick up the story because Joseph's brothers are fleeing this plague that's coming along. um, And they end up in Egypt face to face with Joseph. And they have to work through this whole forgiveness and reconciliation thing um, because they thought Joseph was dead. And now they need his help. And and so they, they have this kind of like cathartic, weird, like tension reunion, um, and then bring back sort of false news from their, from their dad, like saying what they're supposed to do. And, and, and Joseph somehow unbelievably responds with like, Hey, like, I'm not God. I'm not going to judge you. I ultimately want for all of us to prosper. And it's unbelievable. Like, it is crazy. Like, Joseph comes, goes on this crazy journey from immature, favorited, all this other stuff to being left in a pit for dead, to being in slavery, to being in jail, to all this stuff. And somehow at the end, Joseph's dealt with all this family and relational trauma. He's dealt with all of this stuff going on in a way that makes him be able to bless and not curse his brothers. Now, for me, the question is how? Um... For Joseph, like, like how for Joseph, but even more like, so God has this plan to, in spite of all of these things, help Joseph become who Joseph is supposed to be. Is it possible that God has a plan for us in spite of all the stuff going on and all the stuff that we kind of have to deal with for us to become who God wants us to be? And I think the answer is yes. Um, But again, we have to go back to these two big ideas, and we're going to unpack them now. Um, Again, our family past does influence our present. We just can't get around it. Um, So our family past does influence our present, and also that we need to put off some of this past to become who God wants us to be. Um, So... If you look through the narrative of the Bible, like uh, uh, it is very clear that God has high esteem for what he calls family. Um, and that is people who were joined together um, by this biological bond. And, and biblically, it's a little bit different. So when, when you hear in the Bible, we think about family, think extended family. This is like maybe a couple of generations of direct like mom, dad, grandmother, grandpa. This is cousins, uncles, aunts, all of this stuff that, we would, that would be considered an extended family. And God just has a high regard for this. So much so that in the New Testament, when he talks about the church, he talks about it as the family of God. Um, so God has a, a, like a huge esteem, a huge plan for this thing called family. But also we know that in the beginning of the book, 
um, this thing called sin comes in and wrecks everything. So it makes sense that if one of the things that God holds most dear, the family, um, if sin gets in there and messes it up, that it could be a place where there's the opportunity for a lot of things to go wrong. Um, and, and this is what this is what Scazzaro says right here. He says, we often underestimate the deep unconscious imprints our families leave on us. In fact, it is often the case that only as we grow older that we realize the depth of their influence each um, excuse me, each of our family members or those who raised us through, ch- through childhood has imprinted certain ways of behaving and thinking into us. These behavior patterns operate under a set of internal commandments. Some are spoken, um, most are unspoken. Now, Joseph had a specific set of like family patterns that were going on. When you look at like, so we said it's a few generations, maybe an extended family. Joseph had some stuff going on um, that we kind of, that would help us understand to where he got, how he is uh, today. So first, there's a pattern of lying in Joseph's family. Um, great granddad or great, great granddad, Abraham, whatever his relation is, lied, twi- lied twice about his wife, Sarah, right? Um, on down, Isaac and Rebecca, uh, other members of Joseph's family, marriage was characterized by lies. Um, all, Jacob's children, Joseph's brothers and sisters, they all lied about what had actually happened to Joseph. So we see that through the ages, there was this pattern of lying and deceit and betrayal going on. Um, another one is there's favoritism um, by at least one parent in each generation. Um, Abraham favorited uh, Ishmael. He, he favored him completely. Um, Isaac favored Esau. Um, in the beginning, uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, favored him. You'd think technical or dream code. Um, and uh, later, once Joseph was out of the picture, he picked up on Benjamin. So there's this thing of like singling one person in, devaluing others, saying you're the greatest. Everything revolves around you. Um, it, throughout Joseph's family line, uh, there's this thing where brothers experienced a cutoff from one generation to another. Um, or, I get, what would that be? Great, great uncle. Uh, Isaac and Ishmael, brothers, experienced cutoff when Ishmael had to be sent away. Um, Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, fled from his brother Esau. And eventually we, we know what happens with Joseph. He's left in a pit and completely separated for his brother, from his brothers for a number of years. Um, there's, a, there's a history of poor intimacy and marriage um, in each of the generations. So uh, Abraham uh, had Ishmael. One of his children, not with his wife, with their concubine named Hagar. Um, Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebecca, And Jacob had two wives and two concubines. So we see that this is a pattern. Um, and so all of this goes into effect how Joseph would have seen family, experienced family, thought about these relationships, thought about himself. Like So if, if there's a history and pattern of somebody being favored... And that's just the way it is. Then, of course, Joseph thinks it's okay to be like, if I'm the favored one, I should, I'm, it's completely okay for me to act this way for my brothers because it's just what we do. And what we see is that this isn't just in biblical stories. It's for us, too. Like, I guarantee you, if you were to look, there are certain things um, that you inherited from family that cause you to see the most important things in life a very certain and particular way. You might not even know what it is because it's so native and foreign to you. You know, it's like asking a fish what water tastes like, and it's just there, right? But, but it, it, if we examine it, we probably see that there are things that are shaping us without, it, without us even knowing it. So um, in the book, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, uh, Pete Scazzaro goes through these Ten Commandments of Family. Um, and I just want to run through them real quick because I think there are things in here 
that at least prompt questions that will get you thinking and, and maybe help identify some of this stuff. So these are just things that most families, people deal with that are pretty important um, that people can tend to see different ways based on their family of origin. Um, so first, money. How was money for you growing up or even now? Um, you know, some people may think money is the source of security. Like money is, is how you get most secure in life. Um, or the more you have of money, the, the more important you are. Or if you make lots of money, that's how you show, hey, I've made it. And so how, what about money? How, is, how does money function for you? What about conflict? Um, are you an avoid conflict at all cost family? So this is a great one for me. Like this is so when I got married to Harvest, this was a really, really good one for me because her and her family were like work out conflict on your own kind of thing. And my family was let's sit at the kitchen table and I'm going to look you in the eyes until we resolve what is going on. Like, I'm not kidding. Like my mom has sat me down at the kitchen table growing up throughout my life and been like, what's going on? Tell me about it. What's going on? How do you feel? And like, I, like, I didn't know that there was another way. And so Harvest, and I, like, imagine that, imagine trying to have that conversation with somebody who's like, no, I'm going to work this out on my own. And somebody who's like, I'm going to look at you in the face until we figure it out. Like it, it took a little doing is what I'm trying to say. Um, but so avoid conflict at all costs. Don't get people mad at you or about like loud, angry, constant fighting is normal. Like, <laughs> right? Like there's all different ways to handle this. What about sex? Um, some people say sex is not to be spoken about openly. Like some of you, when I said the word sex, were like, uh, let's go keep going. There's got to be a four, right? Um, what about the idea of gender roles? Like what's a guy supposed to do? What's a girl supposed to do? In a marriage, what does a man do? Is he the only provider? Is he the only person who goes out and works? Is the woman only for, you know, babies and cleaning? Like that's, I mean, there are different ways of, of, of thinking about this. And, and some can be really messed up and some can be really hurtful. Um, so how do you think about that stuff? What about uh, grief and loss? Like how do you deal with sadness? How do you deal with depression? If you lose something, how quickly are you supposed to move on? I mean, some families, like, it's like if you show sadness, it's just weakness, right? Or you're not allowed to be depressed. What about anger? Some people think anger is only dangerous and bad. Like, there's no healthy way to express anger. Um, some people stuff anger in until they just explode. Or, or like sarcasm is the best and safest way to release anger. What about how you interact with family? Um, you know, duty to your family and the culture that your family is a part of. That's the highest uh, priority. You owe your parents everything from all that, for all they've done for you. Uh, you definitely don't talk about your family's dirty laundry in public. So if there's like anything going on with your family from minor to major, it's all back here behind closed doors. What about relationships? Um, you know, whether it's something that was taught or something that is gained from experience, sometimes you can just not trust people because they let you down. Um, you can build this idea of like, no one's ever going to hurt me again because I'm not going to give them the chance or I'm never going to show vulnerability in a relationship. Um, what about attitudes towards other cultures, ethnicities, races, stuff like that? Um, don't marry somebody who's not like me or like us or certain cultures, races, ethnicities, they're just not as good as we are. What about success? How, does your, how, how did you learn to define what making it is? And lots of money, getting into the best school, getting married, having children. 
Um, what about just feelings and emotions in general? So he touched on some of the particularly strong ones. Um, so what about how you feel and what, and what you think in general? Are you allowed to express those? Are they important? Um, how, how do you, when, when you're feeling particularly emotional, how do you react to things? And like those things are profound. All ten of those things, like those are constant, consistent, important parts of our life. And, and if we don't know how our attitudes towards those things have been shaped, we might be harboring and carrying unhealthy stuff and not even knowing it. Um, and, and, the, and the thing that's probably most imperative about learning this is that sometimes these things can block us from becoming who we're supposed to become. Right? Sometimes these things can hold us back from God's best for us. But the good thing is God's desire is not for us to stay there. So we just we need to agree. Like I think that from looking at this, seeing what happened um, with Joseph, all this stuff, we can agree that God's plan is for us to flourish. But our family's past does have a profound effect on who we are. Um, and so if we look at that and say there's probably unhealthy stuff going on, then we need to be willing to put some of that off and put on what God has for us. See, one of the major, along with family, a kind of a subset of that, a major thing that God uses in the Bible, a major piece of language that God uses to describe how we interact with him is this idea of adoption. Basically that God takes us and we're not part of his family and he does everything necessary to place us in his family. And when we do that, we get a whole new set of customs. We get a whole new set of values, things that were unhealthy or made healthy, things that were broken or made whole. We get this whole new thing when we're placed in God's family. But part of becoming a, a member of God's family is finding those things that cause tension and allowing the, the thing that is unhealthy to fall away. And I think Joseph has some kind of profound stuff to show us here um, about how he actually did this and some things that helped him do this. So first, um, I think there are two things for how Joseph put off and, and two things for how Joseph put on. Um, I think the main thing that helped Joseph put off negative things from his past was he had a profound sense of the bigness of God. Like he had a deeply acute understanding that God was in control, powerful, and for him. I think this is what enabled Joseph to make it. Like you got to remember, like Joseph had the people who were supposed to be closest to him just abandon him. He was in jail unjustly for 13 years. And I think in that time, through those hardships, he was able to develop this like secret and deep personal history with the Lord that sustained him. And I think actually transformed him. Um, and if I'm Joseph, the question I ask most consistently when I am at the bottom of a pit or in a jail cell, cell, not sale, sorry, um, the, the question I ask is why? Why does this happen? Why, why do my brothers treat me like this? Why am I here unjustly? Why, why does my dad talk to me this way? Why does my mom push me so hard? Why are my siblings so unfair? Why does it seem different for me than everybody else? Why? Um, and I think the, mo- the truest, most honest answer we have to give is we don't know. Right? Like, like we, could, we could really, really want to say, like, here's why. Here are the five steps. Here are the ten things. Here's this, whatever. And I think that the thing is, we don't know. 
We don't know why this happened. We don't know why Joseph's brother, why, why this happened, why it was allowed. We don't know. Um, but what we do know, what we can see, is that regardless of the circumstance of situation, God was with Joseph through it all. Right? Because Joseph had to decide, is God there? Is God, can God be trusted? Is God safe? Is God wasting this part of my story? And um, it's at the very beginning, and, I, and this is what I think, is um, when he says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so the, convi- the rock-solid conviction that Joseph came to is whatever anyone else does, I can, tr- I can be sure of this. God's plan is to help, not to hurt, to heal, not to wound, and to bless, not to curse. And, and that is what enabled Joseph to do this whole thing. Because the next thing that Joseph does is he admits his sadness and grieves his losses. Um, if you were to read... If you were to read the story of Joseph, there are eight different times where it says that Joseph weeps. In, in uh, Genesis 45, 2, um, this is a story of Joseph, Joseph weeping. It says, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with him. Uh, and when he made himself known to his brothers, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So like Joseph was deeply affected by this stuff, right? Like Joseph was deeply aware of the hurt of all the stuff that had gone on. Um, and he doesn't minimize it. He doesn't rationalize it. He doesn't project it onto somebody else. He, he, he just faces it fully. He faces fully the, the history that has gone on. Um, and he faces it objectively. He doesn't make mountains small and he doesn't make hills mountains. Like he, he just faces it for what it is. And where he needs to grieve, he grieves. Where he needs to mourn, he mourns. But ultimately, um, what we see is that because of his view of God and his willingness to actually face what has gone on, um, he comes out on the other side better than you can imagine. In fact, he, the, the, the names of two of his kids, one is Manasseh, which means to forget. And so like the first child he names is, is, is to forget. And I think the sense we get from that is that all of these things that could potentially, in an unhealthy way, destroy Joseph, he forgets them. He moves past them. He releases them that they, they don't have power over him. And the next son he names Ephraim, which means to be fruitful or fruitfulness. So that out of this story, out of this trauma, out of this tragedy, fruitfulness comes. So Joseph, to, to put off, Joseph has this really clear understanding of who God is and God's heart. And then he faces fully. He goes through all the stuff with his family and, 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 and takes the things that are good and lets go of the things that are negative. But then more than that, he, he doesn't just release. He puts stuff on. See, he wrote, he rewrote his story according to God's heart for him. Um, he, he, he looks at his present. He looks at what is going on. It doesn't say, I'm going to look at it only through the lens of my past or only through the way I feel right now or only what can be possible ahead. He says, God, what is the way that you see what is going on here? In Genesis 45, 80, he says this. He says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. So Joseph's looking back on his story. 
And he says, it's, it's not, it's, it wasn't you in the pit. It wasn't Potiphar's wife in the prison. It was God who ultimately worked through all of this to get me here to be a blessing. And now, I, I, like part of us, we look at that and we're like, oh, yeah, that's really great. Um, but realistically, we have to look at the story and go, that's not exactly what happened, Joseph. Like it was definitely your brothers who threw you into the pit. It was definitely some crazy woman who got you arrested for 13 years. Like those things actually happened. And I don't think that Joseph is minimizing saying, oh, well, bless God, you know, everything will be all right. Like, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is I've looked at my story. I've gone through it enough. And the one thing that I'm sure of, more sure of people's intention to hurt me or harm me, more sure of the sins that were committed against me. The thing that I'm most sure of is that God's plan for me, God's will for me is to protect and preserve, is to use and to bless is to, is to propel through, not get mired down in. And so he looks and, and gets a piece of what God's heart for his life is and says, this is the story I'm going to tell and believe, not the other one. I, I have a choice to believe lies or a choice to believe truth. And God's heart is the ultimate truth. And so God's heart was that I, I lead people into deliverance, was that I was a blessing and not a curse. And here I am doing that. So I have to be grateful to the one who put me here. And then finally, like, and this is, rather than like being like stuck in endless amounts of like self-reflection, rather than being stuck in like the trauma or the past or, or analyzing or whatever, ultimately Joseph moves forward in blessing. Jo- Joseph moves forward. He partners with God to be a blessing. Joseph is able to preserve his family from this famine that's sweeping across the land. He's able to provide for them. He's able to provide for a lot more people than that, too. But ultimately, he's able to take where there was hurt, um, where there was brokenness, and make it a place for flourishing. And so this is where I kind of have to ask. This is like for me where it's easiest for us to say, okay, I get where the story intersects with our lives. Because I think if we look, regardless of where you are on the dysfunction, brokenness, health spectrum, right? Like we all probably have things where we're like, man, that was hard. That was difficult. Um, what's the point? And I think one of the things that we could say is that if this stuff happens here and for us, like if we experience healing in broken places, like if we, if we do this, like if we deal with all this stuff, then imagine the profound place of healing that this could be. Like, like imagine the kind of healing that you could provide for someone saying, hey, I've been there. I've, I've felt that. I've walked through that. And, and I just want to be here for you. Like if God calls us into adoption, like right, like if God says we're going to be adopted into his family, then the church should be a place where people feel invited into unbelievably safe, warm, welcoming, empowering relationships. And that could be what we are. Like, that could be who you are. That could be the kind of person you're known as. Like, not a person who's defined by stuff that happened to them. Not a person who is unwilling to confront things. But a person who, like, imperfect, working it out as you may be. You're a person who provides healing. You're a person who's a place of safety and refuge. Like, you could be a person who God uses the blessing. God said this to Abraham in Genesis 12. He said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. That's like the foundational statement for God's people. God looks at all those people everywhere and says, hey, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. And one of the ways he blesses us is by doing this deep work of relational healing so that then we can be that. We can live that. We can evidence that to other people. And we can be a community called healing. We can be a community called wholeness. 
It would be amazing. That'd be unreal, right? Because like, I think everybody at, at some level, whatever, kind of thinks like that would, that's something I need. And we could be people who provide that. This could be a, this could be a community of people that, it, that just embodies that. And so just a few things. Um, if, you, if you hear this and you say, yeah, I think I need to deal with that. Um, actually, let's do it this way. I think this is going to be a good way to do it. Um, so at the end of, of every service, you're, if, if you're new here, um, we end with some sort of response, right? So we'll have ministry teams come up. We'll have uh, – take. Y'all, y'all, you can go ahead. Are you playing? Um, we end with some sort of response. And so rather than just like giving you things to write down um, – and say, hey, take that home and think about it later. Um, I want to give you four things that are like options to respond. And, and you may just want to think about it, like pray about it, write it down where you are. Um, ministry teams, they'll be up here. You might want to come get prayer or whatever. Um, but these are the four things that ha- how we want to respond, okay? Um, so let's go ahead. Where, who's on ministry team today? Y'all can go ahead and come up. So... At Vintage, we believe that worship is a response. Um, we believe that worship and responding to God are, are same word, are different words for the same thing. Um, so we believe that when God does something and we respond to it, that's offering worship to Him. So we have a few ways for you to respond. Um, first, baskets right here for offerings. So if you brought um, tithe offering or whatever, you can drop that here, or there's a little metal box in the back, and you can kind of put it in there. Um, we have communion. So Jesus is the one who enables us to enter into God's adopted family. Um, And when we take communion right here, we're remembering what he's done to allow us to enter in there. So that's that's an appropriate response. Um, If you want to come up to a prayer team, basically when we come up here and say, hey, um, I would like for you to pray for me. All we are recognizing is that we're better together than alone. We're better with other people supporting and help, supporting us and helping us than trying to just go it alone. And so basically these, here just, uh, these folks are just here to pray for you for anything you need. Um, Jason and Tate are going to play, so you can just sit in your seat and worship, whatever you want to do. Um, but so here are the four things that I think are, are um, options for us as far as response. One, um, if, if you are, are hearing this and you're saying, like, I, I need the first step in this. The first step is saying, God, I want to know that I'm adopted as a member of your family. And so just ask God, like, give me that sense of adoption. Show me what you've done um, to make me part of a new family. Second, um, as someone who has been adopted, you might need to, to help have help understanding what has gone on, the impact of your family past. So you might need God to help you do that. So I think a prayer that you can pray is, God, reveal what has gone on in my family. Um, And the good news is God is kind. He's not going to smash you all at once and and lay it all on you. Um, And the other good news is we're talking about this um, in in a way that kind of seems negative, but there's overwhelmingly positive stuff that has gone on in families as well. And so he'll show you that too, the way that your family has blessed you and helped made you and helped contribute to the part of of who you are that God wants you to be. Um, You might need to ask God... Um, for grace, uh, for grace to face some of this stuff, for grace to confess, for grace to repent, for grace just to move forward. I think that's an appropriate response to ask for grace. Um, finally, I, I think it's an appropriate response to say, hey, I don't want to walk on this journey alone. Um, some of you are going to need to bring stuff up in your small groups this week, and that's great. 
Some of you might need to schedule a meeting with somebody. Some of you might need to go talk to a consult, uh, like a trusted friend. I mean, honestly, and this is an appropriate response, like sometimes you just might need to see somebody who knows more than you. So that counseling might be a a fantastic option. But there are so many options for not doing this alone because that's one thing that God does not call us to is to walk alone. Um, But I think the one response that is appropriate for everyone is is to respond with thankfulness to Jesus for what he's done for us. To say, hey, I may have had it great, I may have had it poorly, but I do know this. Um, Because of who you are and what you've done, I have the option for God's family to be my family. Because of your great love for me, because of your great um, love and response towards me, I I have the, the ability to enter into this family. And that's the transformative thing. The transformative thing is when we look and we say, I was here, but because of Jesus, I'm here. When we look and we say, Jesus, your power to transform is unparalleled. Your love is unbelievable. Your grace and kindness are unmatched. And so I think the the response for everybody, no matter where you are, is to rest and rejoice in his love for us. So I'm going to pray. um, Respond to whatever you feel like you need to respond to. um, And then we'll close out in a minute. So Jesus, we love you. We need you. Um, We are thankful for who you are and what you've done. We are thankful for your kindness to us. Please lavish more on us right now. Amen.